It is painful because, of course, normally you don't do this in the arts. Yeah, you show your work. Then you get critique maybe afterwards. Then you say, they don't know anything about my work and go home and don't care about it. And that's different in the artistic research because you have to care about it. You have to take up this critique. You say, uh-huh, okay. So why exactly don't you think that this is a correct approach or possibility? Welcome to the latest podcast in our Arts Research Africa dialogue series. These dialogues are intended to stimulate practice enable research and inspire collective engagement around the question of artistic research in Africa. I'm Professor Christo Doherty, the Head of Artistic Research in the Witt School of Arts. In this dialogue, I'll be speaking to Professor Marguerite Jaman, who has just been appointed Head of the new Department of Experimental Games Cultures at the Vienna University of Applied Arts. Marguerite was previously a Professor in Artistic Research at the Vienna University of Applied Arts and was a professor of games design at the Zurich University of the Arts. Marguerite is an internationally renowned media artist, artistic researcher, and theorist with an impressive record of collaborative research projects, international exhibitions, and awards. She has been the winner of the Pre Ars Electronica Distinction in Interactive Arts and the Transmediale Software Arts Award, and most recently in 2020, the City of Vienna Award for Media Art. Marguerite, great pleasure to renew our connection since the PhD presentations at your university. And you have a very strong background in game design, game theory. How did this background lead you into the realm of artistic research? Thank you, Christo, also for inviting me to have... A disputation as with you. That's the term I use because of artistic research now, also because we are connecting to an older tradition of academic discourse, but also trying to connect it to a very contemporary new form. And we are now talking via internet and connect the really two continents on the same timeline as we are. But now we are also in the same space, which is then a very contemporary. Um, contemporary form also of artistic research that we get into a disputaciones, into a discourse, a debate also maybe with different opinions, but respecting each other's opinion. That's very important also for me, that it is a non-hierarchical discourse also. This is great. Thank you for starting this and for making this broadcast available also to a broader audience. And that's now that I try to answer also your first question. Where is this connection from a playful, ludic approach, which is my background in the artistic work, in the theoretical production as well? How does this lead you to artistic research? For me, it is first of all that I was interested in the material, so to say, that I use. And when I was working with game engines and game technologies, one driving force was that I wanted to know more about these technologies, but also on a social and political level. So what does it mean that certain companies provide these engines, that people have a participative environment, as whatever they do content-wise, I don't agree with a lot of things I see content-wise in games. That's why I 
aim to start now and have the possibility also to start now a, a new master's and a new department on experimental game cultures that also focus on a non-colonial discourse, on a participative discourse, on a collaborative environment which analyzes these dark patterns of game design that make people addicted to certain ways of interaction and leveling and, and gaining and things like that. I was interested. It led me to play with the games as material, as cultural artifact, led me to a deeper interest to answer certain research questions. And that was key for me also to say, ah, this would be a kind of research, but not necessarily just a research in the realm of a theoretical field of game studies, but as a research with artifacts, with, let's say, optional artworks that deal with certain research questions, like, as I said, why do we have these certain hierarchical game mechanics or interaction mechanics? Why is it always the same narration of a damsel in distress? You know, thinking tropes that come from the cultures, from narrative cultures, they have certain reasons and why are we motivated to use these tropes? So these were questions that led me to artistic research because I didn't only want to analyze it theoretically, I wanted also, when I have a thesis, I found it very interesting that as artists we have similar to natural sciences, the possibility to produce our own experiments yeah, where we try to test a certain thesis. Is it possible to have another form of motivation as leveling or as uh, the known tropes, uh, for example? And you have experience as a teacher at both the Zurich University of the Arts and the Vienna, now the Vienna University of the Applied Arts. What is your sense of how artistic research has been taken up in European tertiary institutions. So we have also to make a more precise definition first of what European is. Also, this is not so clear because Europe used to be also the British approach, which it is no more <laughs> for stupid reasons, which is my personal opinion, but that, that's I'm also fine to say this in a broadcast because for me the European Union makes sense also in terms of exchange, in terms of academic exchange, all the research projects become more difficult because of this, that, for example, Great Britain is no more Europe. And academic research had a certain very early development in United Kingdom, which is interesting. But the middle European approach that I know now from Central Europe, Vienna, partly also Zurich, but Zurich is not Europe again. <laughs> so it gets complicated with these terms, huh? <laughs> But uh, here in, in this area, on, on the old continent, let's say, it is just starting. It is still about a decade where, where the artistic research was accepted in academia. I did my PhD also in United Kingdom under the guidance of Roy Escort at the Kaya All-Stars program because there was no artistic research neither in Vienna nor in Zurich nor in any other German speaking, which is my native language. Uh, I would have preferred to do that, in, by the way, in my native language. So my experience here was that it is really an emerging field and it is similar like my artistic practice, 
because I always used to work with emerging fields of technologies, of concept, of game, when it was a new leading medium, let's say, after film, television. Now I think it's games. And I started to do this in an early stage always, because when it's in an emerging phase, it's easier, I think, for everybody, especially for us artists, also to participate and to intervene, because then the shapes are only taking form. It's really true, it's a general observation, but I made this experience and that was my experience here in Middle Europe, let's say. It was starting, I had some background and then I had the opportunity also to guide the artistic research PhD program for four years in Vienna's Angemamte and it was completely new, it started from the scratch. We only had the first degrees there this year, so after four years which is also normal that it takes the double time than as it is announced. But I think that's good, not because of luxury, but because you take your time to reflect. It's normal and it's not bad, I think. So my experience was there is a deep interest and... I think we could develop a very specific understanding, at least at the time when I was here at the start of this program in Vienna, of what is the role of the artifact, of the object in the artistic research. And it's not the same at all places. It is different from let's say, a more academic approach in Germany, which is so close, it's the neighbor country, yeah? but it is very different. I noticed that when we had visits from a committee who wanted to know also what artistic research is and they wanted to start a PhD program also. And it was so close always to say, ah, we have to fulfill the same request of what amount you are writing and that it has the scientific quality, etc. Yes, it has to have a quality assurance, but it has to be different than what is introduced in the humanities and different to the sciences, but it needs to have good academic practice which simply means like referencing, quoting, establishing a network of references and this can be done by a discursive reflection on objects and artifacts. Marguerite, the program as you say the the first first graduates are coming from that program now after four years. What were the lessons in establishing and running that program and particularly the kind of engagement you had with the PhD students themselves? Might I ask also a bit in order to understand your question better, what your own interest is for this question? Because you also work on establishing such a program, is that right? Yes, we don't have a program as such. All we have is a degree, <laughs> an empty degree that was accepted by the university. And then as you're going to see on the 27th, when you join our first Creative Work PhD colloquium, we have a number of different candidates who up till now have been working relatively independently together with their supervisors on artistic or creative work research. We also have just institutionally, in the last two years, the government, the Department of Higher Education, which very much controls tertiary education in South Africa, has finally recognized creative work as a research modality that can earn credits and research subsidies. So 
things are very much the conditions are right for a more coherent program but at this stage there's no program as such there's just individual engagements with 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 these possibilities I'm happy I asked because now I know how my argument can help you. <laughs> because it's great that you have this empty vessel that you can use at least to have a start. But it's very, from my point of view, which is based on my own experience as PhD student in an artistic program in England and from leading the new program here, my own experience is that it is very important to have something like a graduate school where you really also gather the people, no matter who is their main supervisor or what is their field. Might it be painting? Might it be graphic? Might it be photography? Might it be uh, media arts? Might it be conceptual arts? Whatever. It is possible beyond these different disciplines that we also have in the arts, to have a common interest in artistic research as a methodological approach and also to learn that we can understand the research questions from every field, really from every field, even if I'm not a specialist there, And the point is that the questions and the methods have to be formulated and developed in a way that also not experts from the field understand it. And that's the only way how the artistic research can gain the same usability, further merit also for a broader academic discourse. And the first way to develop this is a graduate school is really a program where the people exchange among each others and also train and develop this and see what is not clear, what is not good, what is totally hermetic to everybody else in the world, which happens to some artists. They can be fantastic artists, but not fantastic academic or artistic researchers. It is something different. This can be developed in an independent graduate school with colloquiums where exchange is cultivated, also in an atmosphere of trust and also a bit like a safe space in a way where you can also make experiences. And that's what I really also learned myself, even from fields I'm not interested in. Such fields I exist for everybody. Maybe you don't like painting at all. Possible. Possible. But I can accept it as an approach, as, as a method, as a field, and then I see something in these different kinds of blue, there is a political meaning. If I only look to, I don't know, Eve uh, Klein jumping into a certain dominance of color that only was available for certain people. So, okay. And that's the interesting point. And also, I would say we meet now online soon, but also a personal exchange on a haptic level, even if we deal with immaterial conceptual art, it is different exchange culture. I noticed it needs from time to time the on-site studio situation, atelier situation, and then a discourse on-site that is uh, very valuable for certain experiments that you start in the first four years of the program at Vienna University, have you found that there's certain kinds of art students who flourish in the artistic research environment and others for whom this kind of approach is not suited, it's, it's antithetical to them? Have you had a lot of dropouts 
from the program? Not yet, but of course, one, only one, but doesn't say anything because it's always relative to the numbers. But there are some, and it's sure not for everybody who thinks or believes in the first moment this would be fantastic because the motivations are different for entering this PhD program. And if you are only interested, let's say, in having a degree, it is, like in every field, of course, not the right or correct solution. Sorry about that. There you are. <laughs> this shows that it's yes. live. We should keep that. <laughs> this is very good. So if you get alert from a sound like you were having it now, you get mm. this alertness also during your studies, I think, from the students. Because when you notice as a PhD candidate that you really hate to get into exposing yourself and making yourself vulnerable by showing your thesis, which is maybe not ready. And by discussing also your artistic work, making it questionable, then you are not on the right place. It is painful because, of course, normally you don't do this in the arts. You show your work. Then you get critique maybe afterwards. Then you say, they don't know anything about my work and go home and don't care about it or so. And that's different in the artistic research because you have to care about it. You have to take up this critique. You say, uh-huh, okay. So why exactly don't you think that this is a correct approach or possibility? Why can't I build a wall in the middle of Berlin in order to show that the wall in Israel is not interesting or good or no solution? Because we had, for example, this discourse in the group. The one said, oh, you cannot say anything about this political condition because you are not there or not living. You know, that kind of discourse. And so, okay, but she said then, okay, but so why can't they say something? Can you elaborate that? That's not easy. That's something that you also can learn. Also not from the beginning on, if you notice that this is difficult for people, it's not that these researchers are in the wrong place. It only requires the openness to learn that. You can learn that. You can train that to accept this critique and this course. That's for me the main thing. And this is the most dangerous thing. Some people don't take it up. They just go through, go through, go through. It's possible. And these are really not the best, uh, it's a waste of artistic energy and of the whole system that we try to establish and set up if we say this is artistic research program. So this openness is the main oh, thing. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's a very useful point from your experience with the program. I want to shift us to talk more about games game theory. And I was very intrigued at the ludic society that you founded and Mm -hmm. very, very beautiful publications that came from that society. And that was back in 2006 that you formed it. And what was interesting to me was the way that the roots of that ludic playfulness were very much in surrealism, in Dada, in Duchamp's approach to games, identity, playfulness, rather than in conventional game design. And in many ways, if I think particularly here in South Africa, there's huge pressure from students, from institutions to teach game design as a commercial skill craft that produces very employable students. Were you deliberately with the Ludic Society positioning yourself against that pressure? 
Yes, I would say so. With the Ludic Society project, we really noticed already in this early stage when independent game design just evolved and game modification, modding as artistic tool was discovered, we noticed that there is an interest in this, ah, we want to become part of this business. But that was not interesting for me. So deliberately, we wanted to introduce play, not games. We, I said, we sell play, no games. Of course, like a joke also, because the rule-driven system of the game is a very beautiful environment to develop a stage for a question. But I thought already early days of the Ludic Society and Ludic Society publications that it needs to have your own independent um, business, so to say also your own independent way of publishing and of academic discourse. The Ludic Society project was connected to the artistic research tradition with making a publication, a magazine. It was very important for me that I founded this society, which is easy. I was sitting there and said, okay, I found the Ludic Society. It was really like that. So you can do that because I noticed there is the Académie Française and the Société of Literature and uh, whatever, and I'm not a member of that. And then I noticed it's only a game. It's a play system with certain rules. And rule number one is you have to have your own affiliation. So I founded this society out of the blue, and I found some players who entered with me and said, okay, I become a, a member. What do I have to do? And I introduced the rule, okay, the only thing you have to do is to be open towards playfulness, which I call ludic method, to use this method of play also in writing, in making a contribution to a magazine. Because for me, it was clear that it is important to make the things public. So a magazine online and in printed form also because this is a very independent form for me, print, and print it was only black and white, so not so expensive, but in a very specific graphical style. You are liberate from electricity, from electronic. That I noticed that this haptic and we uh, were also having a group of people who were also interested in that. It was my personal network. And then it really expanded. I really always invited people and said, the only thing you have to do is make a contribution to the magazine. And as soon as you publish one article there, which only can be one page, not an academic thing where you need 15 page, whatever. It can be sure, yeah. it can be a poem, whatever. Then you are a member if you are willing to do that. Huh? People said, okay, I like that, let's do it. And so we really became a group of active people. And this process was like a community building process, and that was important. And it showed me also an answer to this question. Each magazine was connected to an exhibition, to an artifact, to a game. And here the game was very much ironically reflecting certain game rules, existing games, role play, behavior, etc. So yeah, it was on purpose, question one. And far more extending the sources of our game culture in history also. So also in the situationist history of the 20th century yeah. at the beginning of the 20th century, where also the whole artistic world was put upside down with introducing a ready-made or an object of everyday life as art piece. That was so important for me and for the colleagues of the Lodic Society that also the game as object of everyday life can be considered as 
artifact in the arts that was already a provocation, but it was also not so much accepted in the game field. <laughs> because people said, that's not a game, what are you doing? Uh, where is your game mechanic? You are only playing with the game, etc. But that was on purpose. And now, more than as of 15 years later, or 10 years later, after 10 years, we stopped the society on purpose also. And we made the Void book. That's nice to mention if we still have time. Because it was on purpose also printed, 500 pieces, but the book was printed white on white and the cover black on black, so it was void, it was empty art piece. And I was, of course, wasting this energy of printing, if you want to, for a symbolic object. The point was, the book was not sold, it was given to people. There was only that, please do something with it. And I can show you when we make a TV broadcast, there was then the books coming back to me. Somebody was putting a screwdriver into it and putting blood on it and cutting and whatever. So it was a playbook as object. Mm. We didn't fully succeed. We wanted to make an exhibition then, which is not done yet. Maybe it still happens. Maybe I can retake it. We wanted to make it at a place like like in the ice, at the Swiss Alps or so, at the absurd empty place where also nature is there and our challenges and global challenges have a connection and the, the ice is going back, so it would be interesting to do something there, but that's still open. So that's part one of your question. And so you said, how do you solve that? That also you have a responsibility in education, which I understand that people want to have an education where they also can make their living. Yes, that's true. But in order to make your living, you don't have to serve existing industries. You can If you like to do that, there are a lot of places where you can learn that skills. That's a respectable task, but that's not our interest, I would say, as artists, because our interest is to develop new concepts. And also, as women, I never wanted to bring more women into the, the business. Why should they go into this the business, which is not respecting you, which is not supporting you? <sighs> okay, bye. Let's make our own way of making a new economy of making an exchange economy, for example, with the books, with the artifacts, and of developing your own kind of play mechanics that are different and not having always the same way of retaking what's sold before. I can prove a lot of students who did their own business then. Now, after a decade, there is avant-garde. It developed also a lot of flow games where you only navigate in environments. And they also were very much criticized in the beginning that came out of this different approach of game design. So I strongly believe we can develop our own businesses and be as successful. We can make AAA games with a complete radically different game design but the triple a is not a rating in any selling agency the triple a is art activism and agency and this also produces merit for you i promise you can survive with it okay. it's a strong <laughs> belief with some yes. evidences yeah but you really just try it. it's better than to sell yourself <laughs> no i hear you and 
following this line of thinking and, and your career, you have just taken responsibility for this new program, this MA program at the Vienna University of Applied Arts in experimental game cultures. Mm. And this is probably in support of what you were saying. What struck me is there is no commercial game design offered at the university, yet you can do industrial design, you can do stage design. So there are strongly yeah. commercially orientated programs, mm -hmm. but there's yes. no commercial game design. And no. there is now just your program on experimental game cultures. Can you tell us how you're approaching the challenge of this mm -hmm. developing this new program? Yes. As I was applying at a public hearing, where I already was expressing my opinion, which is very similar to what I said in the statement before, it was clear that I wouldn't support commercial education in commercial game design. Nevertheless, I went through this process and I was suggested to go there through this inner circle of hearings and uh, so also the institution. We agreed on that, that uh, different approach is possible and can be made available at this institution. And this is an interest there, which is unique also in Middle Europe, I would say, as opposed to all other game design programs I know. And so this is a unique selling point. <laughs> We are not providing that. I can deal with it because there are enough other places where this is provided. So it's possible for people and for the people who come there to the program, they will, of course, learn the skills that you would need to do also a commercial game design, but they will not, hopefully, but not only hopefully, also because they are selected like that, they will develop their own new concepts. There are different topics like games for non-humans and queer and non-colonial game design and all forms of experimental concepts which they will develop and also concepts of experimental publishing. I was telling the story of the Ludic Society. It also showed that at least making a magazine academic publishing is possible. I did my own games. They were not sold at commercial distributions, but I released several app store games and also exhibition games and so via Umweg rentabilität, so a different rentability, I could generate a revenue stream also in the cultural context. So the experimental game cultures reflects the experiment, the game is a cultural artifact and the cultures of game and play also as a sociological theoretical field. So the people will have the theoretical approach and possibility that's possible also to develop this field, but also the creative approach of making a game, but in a new kind where you have the chance to be the first in a row and to develop your own culture. And the experiment also shows a connection from my point of view, to the academic and artistic and scientific research. We are making experiments also in natural sciences, also connect a lot to games. That's an interesting observation from my own research field. So I could succeed with making my position there, and so I think that's possible. If you have this strategy very clear and say that's what is happening here, there are other fields, we respect that, but we try to develop a different field. And have you recruited students for the program yet? Or is the program yet to... Also the application Stop. phase only ended five days ago. 
for the first students. So I'm in the process of recruiting. I really have to say that I had only uh, two weeks of advertising it and we already have over 50 applications, which is very good for a very new, very quick recruiting phase, which means that we already have a very quick reaction. So it is very short term. So we are right now recruiting. It only starts in October and there will be another call then in January already because it's also short term. So, yeah, but the interest seems to be big. I don't know if everybody is really clear what they will expect. I try to explain that to everybody individually, but we will make it more public, hopefully, I, I think, and then it becomes also clear. So we will see, but I have very open, art-oriented people already applying. So let's see. Have you had people applying who come from the commercial industry? Or is it yes. who are looking for opportunities to experiment in a way that's not possible? Yes, yeah. I think that this is an interest also for, from the field. And that also, it's not that I start now new in the field. I was almost... As of more than uh, 2006, 16, the time is running. But since the beginning of the game design Zurich, I was teaching there. And this is very much interest-oriented also in the applied game design. So really the aim is also to make your own industries and business, which I also have, by the way, but on a different level. Yeah, and I had a position there where I was developing the concepts with the people. So it was clear that the art approach helps to develop new games, helps to, to develop the game changer games <laughs> in place. And I think that's the reason that also people from the industries try to connect and are interested. Let's see with what do we come up. Do we come up with games that have even a different meaning in our society? That's also a motivation for many people, I think. That sounds very exciting. I look forward to hearing more when you're actually deep into, yes. into, into the program. And I've noticed that, as I was saying to you before the podcast, you've been remarkably prolific during this period of the pandemic with the associated lockdowns. And how has COVID impacted on particularly your research work? And I'm thinking of the sort of concepts that you've been exploring, such as the idea of meandering and the ludic, the playful, as a way of engaging with political narratives and particularly yep. the relationship between play in public spaces and the increasing control that COVID seems to have granted to forces of authority and surveillance. If you could speak mm. to that, I think it would be very useful. Yes, thank you for that question, Christo, because that was really affecting everybody of us very deeply in our personal lives. And so I noted that this phase of lockdown is really something where I have the feeling we as artists immediately have to make our position clear. And we have this possibility 
to do that in every situation, also in the lockdown situation, it is a sort of duty for me also to immediately take it up somehow. And I was noting with a performative setting in public space where I made the social distance as a sculptural object, as a not as digital object, really a sculptural object together with a sculptor friend, Talos Kedel, and with a scientist, Stefan Glasauer, we went as three people who were making up the idea and then the performance in public space where we noticed we cannot come closer to each other with this cultural frame. And then it was important for me coming from the game in my research also, this is exactly what happens to the 3D figures in the game engines. They always have these bounding boxes, every object. So it gave ground for a play, a sort of ironic play. And then we went to the empty spaces of the empty city in empty Vienna to performance spaces and we were meandering and doing a walk there and there were people of course there and they immediately noticed ah what is that they were asking oh, is it a demonstration is it a political demonstration or is it art they always asked which was interesting huh? so okay even the policemen came don't know if they would react similar everywhere they were skeptical. And then I said to them, it would be good for you now when you have this situation. And then they said, ah, oh, maybe. <laughs> they took photos. But it was on purpose and they were not sure. So we were behaving correctly, but strange. No? It is a balance, but it is a statement. And what happened then was, of course, the people take photos, as I said, and what they do with the photos. And that was on purpose. Of course, we knew that. They posted somewhere. So the game takes place on the social media. Again, in the other public space that we have gained now, it shows that we have a certain control of privacy for good reasons, but also for reasons that are still, and again, questionable. I really understand the people. But on the other hand, okay, it is also a reality that this virus is there, that this situation we have to deal with our, we are affected with our lives. And yeah, what does it do? So Ludic Meanders of Defictionalization is an article that is just appeared. It is also open source available. We can add the link at the podcast, I think. And I noticed at the same time also that this social media narration, they were so strongly used as really like a game system, like a tool also for the American government where it, you see it only happened over the social media. There was no reflection on this discourse bubbles, etc. And it became a reality. It made the world, made the reality. And this is all at the same moment where we are no more allowed to have this reality check of physicality. And of course, I also was forced to do the whole research that I was studying at the same time on the neuromatic game art. There was a project on a critical play with neurointerfaces. It's a very a second deep interest to use these electronic devices that are often used for self-optimization, like this meditation headbands, etc., and to compare it with the professional EEG measurements that promise to show our inner condition. Because do all these things have to do with our inner condition as humans? Do we really need always this trust and fiction and narration? and believing in systems, controls, what do we really need? Can it be measured or not? The research project started in March and there was the lockdown, I think, in March. So I had two years research project where we were not allowed to do a single experiment at our lab. And so, okay, solution. 
I started the same week to make a broadcast every Friday, as you do with the Neuromatic Brainwave broadcast, which was, of course, an improvised live coding setting where we tried to make visualizations of our thoughts and our meditation and graph them. And luckily, I was really having a scientist on board who is very good in making mathematical models and visualizations with Stefan Glasauer from the BTU Cottbus, a neuroscientist who did the live program in sonification. And then we only had one visitor coming. <laughs> But no problem, it is still there. For us, it was important to introduce this ritual. As sometimes there were more visitors and more people watched it afterwards, but of course not always. The thing is also introducing your own rituals. You are forced to do that and it helps you to question relevant conditions in our society and also in our inner state of mind often. That's very interesting. So that's what it did to me and that somehow it led to an article also which I was mentioning and so you can, I tried to connect with actual games on political condition, having an analysis with the actual political development and starting also with what did this lockdown did in the first months with us all and how could we immediately react How can everybody react and what does it mean also for our society? So, yeah. And from this experience, the kind of engagements that you've had to improvise during the lockdown, and now that in Europe the lockdown seems to be easing, what do you see as the longer-term effects for play, for artistic research, for the key concepts that you've been elaborating? What do you think the long-term effects are if there is ever a time after the pandemic? No, we don't know. No? I'm not sure. But of course, we will have all a sort of long COVID in terms of how our working mode changes. And I also can see positive aspects in what it did partly It showed how quickly it is possible to change, for example, traveling. Of course, it ruined certain business, but other business evolves. It showed how can we deal with our planet. So effects will be, of course, uh, that it's not anymore that much traveling, which is good. It is good for the world because we are at the state where the planet can no more accept this. Maybe it also will change some of the industries. It should I can't say, and I'm not sure if we ever will have a world that is completely without these limitations. It is easing, I'm not sure what it means, but for me it showed, okay, for, I don't know, organizational meetings or so, we don't always have to go to the places we can do that. For uh, inspirational meetings, I see it the other way around, not for the Generalratsversammlung, yeah? not for, for these very formal meetings, but for the informal meetings we have to come together, I think, for these inspirational moments, and we have to celebrate these more. And the others we can reduce and have on a more minimal, more uh, reduced form, I think, that will be one of the effects that this is at least partly accepted, which is very positive. I experience this as very positive. But uh, I can't really tell the future. I only can do that if I blind myself and put the EEG on my head and then... <laughs> <laughs> Then you can look to a cryptic image and I can play a cryptic sound. 
<laughs> I can send this and you can play it. And if you can decode it, then you know the future. <laughs> I will look out for that. Margarita, thank you very much. And we look forward to your participation in our first Creative Work Colloquium later this month. Yes, I'm very much looking forward. Thank you so much for your very deep interest and very interesting questions. Thank you, Crystal. You've been listening to a dialogue between myself, Christo Doherty, the Head of Artistic Research in the Witt School of Arts, and my guest, Margarita Jaman, the newly appointed Head of the Department of Experimental Game Cultures at the Vienna University of Applied Arts. This podcast was produced by Elna Schutz and was funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation as part of their support for the Arts Research Africa Project in the Witt School of Arts, University of the Witwatersrand, Johannesburg, South Africa. The music for this podcast, Decompress, was composed by Lee Rosvia and is used under a Creative Commons license.